Welcome to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with your hosts, Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. Seniors deserve to have a life with respect, dignity, and fulfillment. But as we transition into elderhood, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here are Phyllis and Rubina. Hi, welcome to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. I'm Phyllis Amon here with Rubina Chaudhry. How are you doing, Rubina? I'm great, Phyllis. Good to be talking with you. Likewise. So this is a topic, uh, not that all the topics aren't near to and dear to us, but you and I both have experiences with the topic of caregiving. I, at the very early stages, which... I think uh, was the impetus for me getting into this space and you more recently with your aging parents. So I thought maybe it would be good to discuss that and share that with the listeners. So do you want to talk about your experiences with your parents as a caregiver? Uh, I I would love to, Phyllis, but uh, you also shared your article with me. Uh, your research on caregiving, are you ready? And I'm wondering if we can uh, start with a little bit of the statistics nationally on caregiving. Uh, Is that available handy to you? Sure, absolutely. And and then then we'll get into our conversation about both of our experiences. Okay, that sounds fine. So, uh, yeah, there are more than 40 million family caregivers across the United States that provide unpaid assistance to aging parents, spouses, or other loved ones. And um, a 2017 survey uh, reported that nearly 40% of these caregivers commit to a schedule of over 30 hours a week. And a lot of these people are working full-time and have families of their own while they have caregiving responsibilities. And um, actually, there's a term that they're sandwiched in between all these different responsibilities and there's a term called the sandwich generation and people are really struggling um, with those roles because it's a lot to cope with. Definitely. And um, more than 60% of caregivers say that uh, caregiving affects their work. They could arrive late, they have to leave early or take time off to um, attend caregiving responsibilities or, or help with loved ones, appointments. It, it really is having an impact not only on the person and their family, but also on productivity and work environments. I've done several seminars on caregiving for the public and private sector because people are realizing how much of an impact this situation is creating in the workplace, and people need to have these needs addressed. Uh, Definitely, definitely. And the other statistic we have in the same article is that uh, majority of caregivers, 60% are women and 40% are are men. And I think as uh, as we're sharing these statistics, I think that goes to to the heart of our uh, topic today, and that is uh, the health and well-being of caregivers. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's uh, it's not an easy task all the way around. So being that you said that, I'll start from my experiences. Sure. Um, so my mom was caring for her mother when I was about 15 years old. 
but my grandmother lived about two and a half hours away by bus and train. Uh, My mom didn't drive. And so she would make that trip, as I remember it, several times a week. And you and I were talking last night. We were talking about families having the conversation about caregiving and the roles that people will take on, how will it, it may impact the family. And I was saying, and I've said this many times, that's when I learned how to cook because oftentimes my mother came home and it was after dinner. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but then after about a year, it did. It took its toll on my mother, on the family, and... Um, Then my grandmother moved actually into a nursing home a few blocks from our home. And for a few weeks, I took on the responsibility of helping to care for her when my parents were on vacation. That's what led me to the nursing home space. So that's my experience from early ages. Your experience is much more recent with your parents. You want to share those? Uh, I do. I do very much. And what's really connecting with me right now is that it's your experience with your grandmother that led you to a career, a lifelong, um, you know, investment into this uh, landscape of elder care, elder care advocacy. And for me, it's been my caring for my mom and the logistics of it that led me to to start Olive and to start the initiative to support seniors, uh, you know, uh, seniors and aging. So it's interesting that we were both touched by the industry and here and our obligations for caregiving. And that's uh, made us and brought us to where we are. Uh, uh, That touched me through your story. So to come back to my, uh, my experience my parents live in Canada. They're both 91 years old. And I'm an only child, and I live in Los Angeles. So that's a thousand plus miles away. Uh, if it's a nonstop flight, it's three and a half hours. <laughs> it's far. It's not a two and a half hour trip, bus and train, but it's. No, it, absolutely it, not. It, it, it takes it, a little it, more planning, right? A little more planning and at least basically a day, you know, with right. the airports and rental cars and, uh, and everything. And, um, and I. You know, I have uh, had to learn through it one step at a time and uh, and truly learn through it. And we talked about the impact of it on our work. And I've been fortunate. I am fortunate that I'm an entrepreneur and I have my own business and my husband and I work together. So I've been able to um, leave as often as necessary and with my iPhone and iPad stay connected with my work and with my clients. But I have, uh, you know, I have uh, shared with uh, with people that if I was not an entrepreneur, I would have had to leave, leave my job. There, there's no job that could have helped me accommodate my needs for, you know, to care for my parents, considering that they're so far away. And, uh, you know, so I'm fortunate to be an entrepreneur. And another thing that comes to mind is um, when I was getting my mom settled in renal dialysis unit, and I was going back quite often, and uh, I recall one of the nurses saying, do you work? I said, (laughs) yes, I do. (laughs) You know, know, she was kind of surprised that I was as accessible and as available to my mom as I was. 
Do you work? I said, yes, I do. She said, how can you afford to come so often and be here so often? And, uh, you know, that's when, again, I was I shared with her that it's because I'm a business owner. And uh, uh, for me, my, you know, physical presence is needed only some of the time. But, uh, you know, through technology these days, I can uh, I can keep on doing what I need to do. And uh, I know we're talking, we want to talk about the health of um, and well-being of caregivers, but I, this is just, you know, one caregiver and uh, and how I'm fulfilling my duties. And I remember on one, you see, one ICIC day in Canada, and I'm starting to drive, drive out. One client calls, I pull off, I take another client calls, I put them on hold. And here I am, I mean, stop literally in freezing weathers in a car on a way to pick up my mom and conducting business. You know, yes, the, there are challenges to being a caregiver and uh, and working and um, and uh, and the, when I shared with my vision, it was truly when one of the times when I was leaving my mom's care facility. I can even see that now, Phyllis. I saw two ladies sitting by the elevator. And, and my eyes touched their eyes. And it was from then when I was on my way to the airport that I realized that this is the population that I'm, uh, I'm meant to serve. Um, you know, as I've shared in the past with the listeners, Olive was born at that time, maybe six months old or something. But that was the day that I really committed to senior support services. There's usually a pivotal moment. Um, and and the the pivotal moment that I talk about is the time that I went to the nursing home the first time to help care for my grandmother when my parents were away. And I walked in and she was a very proud woman. And there she was sitting in the lobby, kind of disheveled. Of course, this was many years ago. And um, I just was so taken by it. I ran out and I was crying. I, I walked around the block a few times and I say that that left an indelible mark on my mind and my heart. And yes, that I believe pulled me back into that space. But you brought up something very interesting about the nurse who asked you if you work. And I was doing some research. I do know that uh, some states, um, it's it's Medicaid-based, that people can get paid to be a caregiver mm-hmm. um, for the approved hourly rate in whatever state that is. And I was doing some research, and I came across um, a website, payingforseniorcare.com, where a person could go and look up and see different articles and I think they have requirements for different states and what's required to apply for that if you qualify for that. So that would be something that people may want to know if they're in that role uh, for a significant period of time and aren't fortunate enough like you to have their own business. Oh, Definitely, because it does cost a lot of money, not only f- to be in the in the facility, but all the support, uh, all the support services as well. So let's uh, let's shift the shift our conversation now to to caregiving and the role of the caregiver and how caregivers can keep themselves at the table as well. Uh, well, I think it's uh, first and foremost that people need to realize that 
at the time they take on that role as a caregiver, the situation probably will not remain the way it is, that that person's needs may increase or intensify. So even though they may enter that space initially just maybe helping with shopping or meals, doctor's appointments, those things will change as the need increases. So people need to think about taking on that role I would say carefully they, they are drawn to it because it's their loved one and their loved one needs help, but they have to consider all the possibilities. And and what I say to people when I, I do um, seminars, it's very important to have a conversation, a family conversation mm-hmm. about what impact this may have on the family. As I said, I, that's when I learned to cook, but there may be other circumstances and other expectations in the family that are going to change if if one party is now involved in caring for somebody outside of the home. Uh, that's that's very, very true. And that's the f- conversation that we had here in my family, uh, in our home, where, uh, you know, my husband and I, he understood that I am the best one to give care. Uh, so he picked up the slack for me uh, back home and at work. We're fortunate that we're also working together. Uh, so that allowed me to travel when needed and uh, you know just uh, this conversation is bringing up so many memories uh, Phyllis we could talk for hours on end <laughs> we sure could. <laughs> we could talk you know and one thing that's coming to mind is my sitting in a and an ACEC, an engineering organization board meeting and getting a text message with a with a headline your father and basically just immediately leaving. This was the afternoon and uh, first thing in the morning being on the airplane to Canada. Right. It, it, you know, it, uh, it, is, uh, it, it is that important. But other thing that I found out that I want to share with the listeners is that after my mom moved, you know, she was a housewife. Everything was done. She had her role and my dad had her role. So she wasn't used to making appointments and uh, paying bills, et cetera, et cetera. So when she moved into the assisted living facility where her responsibility was, you know, like she had some care, but not, uh, you know, it's assisted. It's not full care. So I remember one call she's saying, and I'm in Los Angeles, remember, and she's in Canada saying this, this, right. this, this, and this. Now you do what you want. <laughs> and I, and I, say, I said to my, myself, I said, okay. And that was my other cue point uh, is that I had to empower her. And right. I, step right. by step, I... I taught her, I empowered her to the point where at 91, she's still making her doctor's appointment. I'm going there when I need to be there, but I'm not there at every juncture. I've, uh, you know, set, uh, I've put in place driver, uh, you know, some family uh, relatives and friends. Uh, But, uh, you know, she became quite self-sufficient. Well, you know, I want to just say something about that because I think that it's important for people to look at the person that needs care and look at what they're capable of doing instead of just looking 
at what they're no longer capable of doing and where the caregiver has to step in. And it is possible to empower people even if they're having difficulties, there are steps you can take. We could, we'll have another show about that probably, about technology and modifications that you can make to, to empower that person so they can remain as independent as long as possible. But I think that's a mindset it's a, mm-hmm. it's a, that needs to change. How do we view the person and what they're capable of doing? And how can we empower them to continue doing those things rather than just looking at what they are, they're not able to do any longer? Agreed. Agreed. Very, very much so. And, uh, and, and it has, you know, many benefits, not only that it makes life a little bit easier for the caregiver, it, uh, it makes them feel good. You know, it makes them feel worthy, their self-concept, you know, the, you know, the, this needs to be kept at the table. And how can we encourage them to do more and more, though it may be easier for us to just do it, but, but we do need to keep them engaged. Well, because as we all know, if you, if you don't feel like you're actively or purposefully involved in your life, you don't feel uh, good about yourself. It, it, your self-esteem suffers, and you just overall don't feel like you're contributing in in a substantial way, even if it's just your your daily needs and daily care. So as much as we can empower people, um, I think we should think about, you know, advising people to continue mm-hmm. to do that and talk about that more. Like I said, we'll probably have another show about that. I think we're just about ready for, for a break. And um, um, anything that we want to add before our break? No, we, we will be speaking with a caregiver in our, uh, Josette Quinn, in our next section. And uh, we invite you to tune in and stay tuned in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy on Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Phyllis Amen, the voice for elder care advocacy, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones in short-term rehab, long-term care, or memory care. Her unique knowledge comes from working in over 40 skilled nursing facilities. Phyllis's passion for quality care and quality of life for our loved ones sets her apart. She encourages families to plan by choice, not by crisis. Visit phyllisheldercare.info for a consultation. Phyllis is also a speaker for both the public and private sector on various issues related to caregiving, communication, empathy, and aging. Rabina Chaudhry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of Olive Community Services, a 501c3, which provides culturally appropriate supportive services to seniors, their families, and the community. Rabina's passion for the elder population stems from her experience as an only child living over 1,000 miles away from her aging parents, who are now 91 years of age. She understands the delicate issues and decisions caregivers face. Visit olivecs.org to get further information about Olive's programs and services. 
Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with Phyllis Amon and Robina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email your hosts from the Voices for Elder Care Advocacy show page on Voice America. Now, back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Welcome back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Our guest is Lizette Quinn. Um, Phyllis, would you please welcome our, our guest and, uh, and introduce Lizette? Sure, absolutely. Thanks, Rubina. Hi, Josette. Um, Hi. Uh, Josette, um, I understand you're 62 years old and you've been retired almost 10 years. And you've worked for Riverside County as a health educator and program coordinator. And you married your husband, Mike Quinn, um, seven, at 75 in 2006. Is that correct? Yes. And um, in about 2015, you know, his health problems started to escalate. And... Um, it was 2016 through 2018, there were a series of medical procedures, misdiagnoses, and medical complications, but since then, he's been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, plus he had a colostomy and some other conditions, and you've worked very hard to keep a balance in your life through, you have good support system of friends and family, and I'm happy to hear that you exercise and get plenty of rest. And, you know, you keep yourself organized and you do make sure you have periodic quality time away to help take care of yourself. That's so important for caregivers to know. So what else can you tell our listeners about your experience as a caregiver? Well, um, I witnessed my mother um, who was a very energetic, vibrant woman, and she caregived for my father. And uh, I think she caregived for him for around nine years. The last five were very stressful. He had had a mini stroke and and lost his ability to speak, and and she just wore herself out. And she ended up dying before he did, which I understand happens quite a bit. And I just told, yeah, I just told myself that wasn't going to happen. And I told my husband that was not going to happen. And so I have just worked at that and he's a great guy. And although he doesn't always like me to be gone, you know, he understands and, and, so it's just very important. I I don't want to come out of this experience being bitter or angry, and so I'm taking care of myself and enjoying myself while I can. 
I mean, that is really so important. Uh, you know, there are more than 40 million family, family caregivers across the United States that provide unpaid assistance to aging parents, spouses, and other loved ones. And uh, there's a survey that came out in 2017 that said that nearly 40% of these caregivers commit to a schedule of greater than 30 hours a week. Do you think that that sounds uh, reasonable or something that you've experienced? Um, yes. Um, although I do have caregivers that come in and they get them ready in the morning, get them ready at night, and I have them during the day. And like for the next couple weeks, we have a lot of... Um, doctor's appointments, so yes, I'm getting them there, and he, with Parkinson's, has ambulatory problems, so yeah, that's about right, I would say, 40 hours. Wow, that is quite a bit. Would you say that most of the caregiving that you do is involved with going back and forth to appointments? I mean, I do think it's wonderful that you have people that come in and yes. can help you and help him with probably the more taxing tasks. Right. Um, it's that. It's making his meals. It's because um, they don't make his meals. And so, like I said, I'm very organized. So I have his breakfast kind of all planned out for three days in advance. I have his insulin drawn three days in advance. I have, um, so it's the meals, it's the planning. I do the medication. He gets medication uh, six times a day. Um, so planning that and and it really would have been so helpful. I'm, I'm an organized person, but that really helps me. Because I always know that something may come up, and if I'm prepared, I can handle something that comes up. That's really, really wonderful. Wonderful, Josette. Um, really a lesson to be learned, that uh, being prepared ahead of time, because things do come up. Yes. And, and, yes. And, and, you know, my husband spent... <clears throat> a year and a half or so in a nursing home slash rehab. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm home, you know, I've gotten stuff done around the house that doesn't necessarily have to do with him, but I'm always ready for the other shoe to drop because it's happened a couple times before, and I just know if I'm prepared and he, if he has to go back, things are done around the house. And so I don't have to worry about that. I think that's something very important that you just brought up because I don't, I, I think it is very important for people to understand that even when you enter into the role as a caregiver and at whatever stage you enter that role, maybe in the uh-huh. beginning it's just running errands or helping right. somebody with doctor's appointments, but that A, even at that stage, it probably won't remain that way because the person's condition progresses and as the person right. 
condition progresses, you probably have to take on more of a role doing other things. But in addition to that, I think you mentioned something very important, which is not that you that you're expecting something more nefarious to happen, but you have to be prepared for that situation if the condition changes or exacerbates, and the person does have to go into another kind of care situation. That, that's true. You know, it's just I feel it makes me more calm to know that these things are taken care of. And even this year, at the end of last year, 2018, I said, okay, I'm getting the funeral stuff done next year. I'm doing, you know, some of the stuff that perhaps people don't want to do, but it's such a relief to have it done. And it's a relief to have this stuff done around the house. So if something does happen to him, I don't have to worry about it. You know, that is very commendable, just that, because those are hard conversations to have. Right. They're hard to have with parents, children, with siblings, Mm -hmm. and, of course, with spouse. uh, Right. As as well. And have you come across any support groups for those who are caregiving? Um, Um, How is that that landscape? You know, I... there are some support groups for uh, uh, people with uh, caregivers of Parkinson's, uh, people with Parkinson's. And I was going to go to one, but, but, you know, I really haven't gone. I've got a lot of friends, and I have family, and they've been wonderful. And I just, uh, if it gets worse, I may. But uh, for right now, I'm not, don't need it. And I'm a big, big supporter of support groups. At this point, I don't need it. I have my friends to, I can vent to or whatever, and they're there. I have a question about that, though. Yeah. Do you, I understand that you say you don't feel you need it because you have a wide support system. But yeah. do you... Think there's a possibility that people in support groups who are experiencing caring for somebody with the same condition that you are maybe be able to shed some light on some situations that you encounter as you go along or may even have some suggestions or ideas that they've used to help them through some situations. You know, and that's that's very true. Um, I, you know, I hadn't thought about it that way. Um, that's something to think about. And, and, you know, I have to tell you, there's... <clears throat> I'm able to do a lot of stuff because we have the money to do it. We're not rich, but we have the money to do this. And there are a lot of people that don't have the money. Correct. To to have caregivers come in. Now, there are programs for lower-income people that, that caregivers can actually get paid. Yes, there to are. To take care. There are. Um but for me, it's it, as tough as it is, it's easier for me because we have the resources to be able for me to take 
three days off or to have these people come in. There are quite a few people that do not have those resources. And that's where it's tough. And that is really, really a very significant point, Joseph. Yes. Because just uh, in the last week, we had a, a show on just that, on uh, you know, assisted living and the ability to pay and, uh, and uh, long-term insurance. Oh. No long-term care insurance. Yes. And, you know, my husband has long-term care, but he only has it when he's in a facility. Um, but, and I've looked into getting long-term care, but what I would get for what, for what he has paid and what he has gotten, Mm -hmm. I mean, the long-term care now is nothing compared to what he has. But he's using his benefit because he's at home? He's at home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But long-term care insurance doesn't does it re- pay for care at home or it only pays no. for care in a facility? Uh, well, it possibly could pay at home. Um, uh, my husband has it through CalPERS, and at some point okay. he, he had a choice for his um, premium to go up significantly or take out the at-home care. And so he took that out. So, no, we do not have it at home. We have it in a facility, which a facility is much more expensive. You know, for his needs, I can't just put him in, say, a house um, because he needs insulin. If there are needles and stuff like that, to put him in an assisted living home house, type of situation. I couldn't put him there. I'd have to put him in an assisted living facility. Right. Actually, um, uh, Rubina referenced that there are some assisted living facilities around the country where they do administer insulin, but not all. That's a different level of care uh, for assisted livings. But very often that is why people move into uh, long-term care situations because it's skilled nursing care that's available 24 hours a day and right. they can do things like administer insulin or cater to whatever person's medical needs are. And right. Josette, you mentioned uh, that you're possibly considering long-term care for yourself. Yes. You know, based on our conversations, our program in Olive that we had a couple weeks ago, plus our program and conversation uh, here at uh, Elder Care Conversations, I have applied and I have spoken with other friends as well and Uh we are promoting to, you know, elders and to others uh, to please consider it. If, uh, from my research over the last uh, couple of weeks, if you're under 75 and you're healthy, Yes. You you can qualify. Yes, you know it's more expensive because you're yes. older. But yes. um, if you need a reference, uh, I can definitely provide. Oh you well, thank I, you. I'm yeah. right now going through the process, and actually this morning I had my examination of my blood tests and that. Oh, and okay. Up, and it's uh, it's called life insurance with the living benefit, and oh. one of the benefits is. Um, for uh, long-term care 
and you can use it at home or you could use it in a facility. Oh, that's terrific. Now, yeah. interestingly enough, I just interviewed a gentleman from New York Life on my local radio station, WGCH, um, WGCH in Greenwich, Connecticut, and uh, it will air tomorrow. And we were just talking about the, that very same thing. They also sell long-term care insurance. I don't know if it can be used at home or in a facility, but it, it's just what you say, Rubina, as long as you're healthy and under a certain age, it's certainly worth it to try and see if you qualify right. for it because it, it covers such a, a, a need as people experience a variety of different oh, yeah. medical conditions as they get older. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. I've, you know, I am, as I said, I am going through the process, and I know some of my friends uh, are also going through the process. And, uh, yes, you know, you need money to support yourself. And, yeah. Uh, and yeah. If, the, if right now the premium may be, X hundred dollars, right? You know, that's much less than the thousand X thousand dollars. Yeah, that you will, uh, correct. Need when you're in a care home. Correct. Oh, so, Josette, I have a, one final question. We yeah. don't have that much more time left. What yeah. do you think one of the greatest challenges is in terms of where your husband is uh, medically or physically in terms of his Parkinson's? Well, sometimes it's it's my patient, you know, getting him in and out of the car. Sometimes he he kind of spaces out and he stares at people and he so um I would say my patients, I go through periods where it's like I can't do this and da 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 and then I go through that for a day or two, and it's like, okay, how am I going to take care of myself? So I started uh, having massages. I, you know, it's finding a way to make myself happy, which will make my relationship with him happy. So it's going through those valleys, I guess. You have the peaks and valleys, going through the valleys and figure out what I need to do for myself. And that's really key. Uh, that's something that I also tell people, and probably Rubina does too. This, uh, actually, this gentleman we interviewed today on the radio show said something which I also refer to sometimes. You know, when you're in an airplane and they tell you about uh, the oxygen mask coming down in case of emergency, what did they tell yes. you first? To put it on yourself first yes. because you have to save yourself before you can save the person next That's to you. That's so true. That's so and true. So it certainly applies in caregiving. Well, Josette, this has just been a fantastic conversation. So when we return, uh, Rubina and I will continue the conversation on caregiving on Voices for Elder Care Advocacy on the Voice America's Empowerment Channel. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Phyllis Heyman, the voice for elder care advocacy, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones in short-term rehab, 
long-term care, or memory care. Her unique knowledge comes from working in over 40 skilled nursing facilities. Phyllis's passion for quality care and quality of life for our loved ones sets her apart. She encourages families to plan by choice, not by crisis. Visit phyllisheldercare.info for a consultation. Phyllis is also a speaker for both the public and private sector on various issues related to caregiving, communication, empathy, and aging. Rabina Chaudhry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of Olive Community Services, a 501c3, which provides culturally appropriate supportive services to seniors, their families, and the community. Rabina's passion for the elder population stems from her experience as an only child living over 1,000 miles away from her aging parents, who are now 91 years of age. She understands the delicate issues and decisions caregivers face. Visit olivecs.org to get further information about Olive's programs and services. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email your hosts from the Voices for Elder Care Advocacy show page on Voice America. Now, back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. So, Rabina, I thought that was a terrific conversation with Josette Quinn about how she's caring for her husband. And I love the fact that she was honest and open and acknowledges the fact that sometimes she loses her patience, that some days there, there are definitely challenges. And I think that's something important for us to address for our listeners, that uh, these are normal feelings. These are not feelings yes, to, to feel guilty about, but uh, to deal with those feelings. It's it's very true. They are very, very real feelings. And uh, you basically have to devise systems to to manage them. And, uh, you know, being patient is is sometimes not easy. And you really have to keep it in front of you to, to be able to practice it. I agree. I think it's important for people to know that people think that when you take on this role that it's like it is like a herculean task and you have to do it all but people are only human and we have to accept that we can't do it all sometimes and uh, this only creates unrealistic expectations not only that you place on yourself but the person who's looking to you as the caregiver Uh, sometimes there are dynamics that set up with that also i'm sure but it's important to acknowledge those feelings, as Josette did with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure she has those conversations with her husband. It sounds that way from from how she described it. And to uh, for both people to talk about 
how that feels uh, for each person involved, how it feels for the caregiver and how it feels for the for the person that's being cared for. And that's where support groups, I know that Josette said she has a wide circle of friends and support uh, network through her friends, but people shouldn't hesitate to to consult mm-hmm. other uh, other kinds of support networks or groups. Uh, there are community centers or organizations. There are areas, uh, the area ag- agency on aging, wherever a person lives. I mean, her husband has Parkinson's. So there's the Parkinson's Foundation. There are stroke clubs. Uh, Dem- Alzheimer's Association has support groups. There are local religious groups, uh, respite or hospice care groups. And there are online Facebook groups as well for caregiving support. Mm-hmm. You know, all all well, and yes, they're there. But when you're in this caregiving situation, sometimes that's just another thing to do because you're really so overwhelmed with what's on your plate. And, and that's when we need to find that opportunity and the time to put ourselves first as well. Uh, as overwhelming as the demands become, and believe me, I know, and I know it from my friends, it's it's hard to prioritize yourself, especially for women, because we are caregivers right? and truly caregivers, and we don't always put ourselves first. And I really do admire Josette for, uh, uh, for setting an example that, yes, you can put yourself, uh, uh, you know, up front as well. You don't have to be... Uh, you know, let's say at the mercy of of the time available. And uh, the key thing that uh, you alluded to is uh, is the communication, be that communication between the caregiver and the one who's being cared for, and or with the family that's supporting the care. and and the community as well. Um, you know, I, in my case, I'm the only child, so I don't have siblings, but I do have my family, my children, my husband, and we talk about it. And it's, you know, that fatigue, that caregiver fatigue is real. Absolutely. Uh, and, I, and, you know, you're, I'm being reminded of so many examples today. In just uh, earlier this year, my dad was hospitalized at I think I shared the incident with you where he had a minor heart procedure. Yep. Uh, you know, you recall, and I was so torn whether I should drop everything and go. And one of my friends, she said, you know, you're communicating with the doctors. They're, you know, you're on phone. She said, you're getting even better information from them than if you were in the waiting room waiting for them. Take a couple of days, go, uh, go there on the day he comes out from the hospital and then spend some time with him. And I listened and I did that. And even with knowing, you know, knowing that and having gone through that, having this excellent support from the nursing support and the, and the, and the doctors in Canada and knowing what is going on, I was at the airport and I was just, uh, you know, I made a comment, you know, am I in it alone? Right. <laughs> you know, it's uh, you sometimes feel lonely. There are you the only caregiver? Isn't there anybody else? As you know, uh, and and we need to 
come over that, that we may be the primary caregiver, but we, we have to proactively access our support system, be they siblings, be they children, be they um, uh, community centers, be they nursing support, you know, that, that we can't fall into the fallacy that, that we're, I'm the only one that can take care of it. I know my experience is with uh, families, especially in nursing home situations, oftentimes, not all of the time, but oftentimes there's one person who feels partic- particularly burdened that they're really doing the lion's share of the work. And that's where, when we talked earlier about family conversations, there needs to be an open dialogue and an honest dialogue about when one person is really doing so much and it's affecting them and their family, how are the other members of the family going to pitch in? Mm-hmm. And you know and, and people need to be honest about that and and say, I, I need some help. I need some support right now. I need to uh, take a, somebody has to take a little bit off of my plate. And sometimes it's difficult because families are dispersed around the country. As you, you're living yeah. over a thousand miles from your family. It's not always easy. But there are ways that you can divvy up responsibilities, whether it's follow up phone calls with doctors to find out what has transpired, what the follow-up treatment is. There are ways to do it, and and people have to communicate the fact that this is a team effort, including the person they're caring for. It's it's really a team effort. It it really, truly is a team effort. And the person who is being cared for uh, can play a significant role, but those who are caring for him or her need to be aware of that. And that, you know, we mentioned earlier, empowering the person and I shared the example of my empowering my mom to you know uh, to make some of her doctor's appointments and take the taxi and go or if she needed somebody to go with her and I think that that also helps the person feel good about themselves and they have better quality of life. I agree. Uh, yesterday we were talking and you mentioned something about the fact that your mom is now, now looks forward to you making a daily phone call to check in with her. Yes. yes. And something as simple as that can help empower the person because it really touches their, their heart, it touches their soul and they feel connected that there is somebody out there even if they are a d- distance mm-hmm. away and then they have more energy to possibly pursue some of the areas where they can care for themselves, where if you feel like you're alone, you just don't want to do anything. So I think even if people are living a distance away, that's something important to stay in touch with loved ones and And maybe daily. I think that, that actually that incident of my experience of the last week that addresses two points that we are trying to make. One is that care needs change. They change over time. In my agreement with my mom, she could call me anytime she wanted and I would answer the call. If I was in a meeting, I you know, got out of it and, and I answered a call out of probably her 
20 calls, I may have to take a message in one or two calls. But most of the calls, I was able to just say, hold on, I'm walking out of the meeting. I will talk with you. But now her health is deteriorating. And in this last conversation, I could sense that it was burdensome for her. So that's when I offered, would it help if I called you uh, regularly? And the first day after that, it was still that downer. Second day was a little better. And the two days after that, we've had, you know, quick two-minute, five-minute conversation and uh, uh, moved on. And I think it's uh, it's helped her with her, uh, with her day. And, and may I, if I may say one more thing. Sure. And that's not only for people that are that are elderly or confined. You know, I'm blessed with uh, with children, and one of my daughters who lives away from me, she calls every day on her way to work. She has about a five minute window where she, from when she drops her son at school to when she goes to the hospital, and it's it's a good opportunity to chit chat or to brainstorm or to you know share thoughts. And my second daughter, I, I have the opportunity to see her because her children come to my house. Um, you know, so it's. It's at all ages that if we have these systems in place where we get in touch with each other, schedule, that we're more likely to do it than saying, let's try to do it. I agree. The other thing I was going to say is it's important. You you said you recognize that your mother seemed to be going down a little bit or feeling a little down. I think it's important to acknowledge that for the caregiver and say, it sounds as if you're feeling a little down or are you feeling down or how are you feeling? Allow the person to express their feelings and emotions. Let them know that there's an open line of communication from their end because sometimes people feel that they don't want to burden the caregiver with how they're feeling. But those are important feelings to discuss as well, not only the caregiver's feelings, but how the person is feeling. Oh, definitely, and definitely, and I I know there was a third variable in this, uh, the events of last week, because I'm about to take a vacation, and I had the option of going to Canada and then to a vacation, and then through conversations with friends, they convinced me that just go on a vacation. So that meant that I'm not doing my six-week trip to Canada, but I've put in place two relatives who will visit her regularly. But it's her recognition that my next trip will be in December and not in uh, end of October, beginning of November. That also took two, three days to overcome. But uh, I but think the, it's important the telephone that you... Call, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. Sure. No, you go ahead. I was going to say uh, it's important that you address that. Yes, yes, I did address that with her, yes. So uh, I believe we're at the end of uh, this conversation about our elder care conversation about caregiving. And um, I hope the listeners found some of this information helpful. I know I did. I love sharing these conversations with you, uh, Rubina. And um, hopefully we will, our listeners will tune in next week on Voices for Elder Care Advocacy when we're going to be having a discussion about dementia and there are going to be some interesting guests on that show. Phyllis, I look forward to listening to those guests as well. Again, this is Phyllis Amen and Rubina Chaudhry on Voices for Elder Care Advocacy 
on Voice America's Empowerment Channel. Thank you for listening this week to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Please join your hosts, Phyllis Amon and Robina Chaudhry, again next Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.